Welcome to the St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows podcast channel. The sermon you are about to hear is from our worship service on January 16th, 2022. For more information about the community and ministries of St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows, you can visit our website, smlutheran.org. There you will find the full online worship service from which this sermon is taken. And if you would like to give gifts to support the ministries of St. Mark's, you'll find information on how to do that there as well. And now, here's Pastor Jan Rood with the Gospel reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. John from the second chapter, beginning with the first verse. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they did. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you ask someone to name one or more miracles that Jesus did, they will probably mention the time that he turned water into wine. Along with walking on water, it just makes quite an impression. But in the end, razzle-dazzle does not seem to be the point of this gospel story at all. In fact, St. John doesn't even call this a miracle. Instead, he concludes the story by calling it a sign. And for the reader, that's a very helpful distinction. A sign is not special in and of itself. Rather, a sign is there to point us to something of true importance. And since this is Jesus now acting, we have to think of this as a sign that points us to the true nature of God. In that light, I like to begin by reflections on this story by asking, what part of God's true nature is being revealed? And for me, the first thing that I notice is God's extravagant generosity. Some may call it abundance. In the chapter before this, John calls it grace upon grace. I also like the reflections of a modern preacher on this text with all of the the water turned into wine, so many gallons, who says, when God starts giving, God does not know how to stop. The second thing I learn about God through this sign is that God truly wants us to experience joy in this earthly life. That had to be, I think, Jesus' 
motivation, at least in part, when he not only saved the party, but also saved the reputation of the hosts and of the wedding family, all of those who were there to be with others that day. In the opening prayer that we use at wedding services today, we often say, Dear God, as you gladdened the wedding at Cana and Galilee by the presence of Jesus, so bring your joy now to this wedding by his presence. In weddings, and really in all of life, we pray in this way because we trust and believe that it is God's holy will that we will have joy in our earthly existence as human beings, as God's children, and that we will share that joy in communion with others. I'm especially mindful of that as we mark the two-year anniversary now of a global pandemic amid the resurgence of a variant that threatens the well-being of countless people. And when we add all of the social strife that has taken place during the pandemic, all of the pain and suffering, all of the stress and anxiety, all of the fatigue now and weariness, we might ask, how can God expect any of us to be joyful? In truth, I think most of us feel perhaps more like the Jewish exiles in Babylon who asked, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? But don't you agree that joy is something that all of us truly need, and especially now? By that, I don't mean a feeling inside that would just help us escape reality or distance ourselves from the troubles and the challenges of this time or deny that any of them exist. What I'm talking about is joy that, that wells up and overflows in people, even in the darkest and most troubling times of their lives. When I ask myself if that is possible, it helps to remember people who experienced and shared joy in the midst of circumstances much worse than my own. One of them is remembered this weekend. We all know that Martin Luther King Jr. experienced the grave injustices and violence of racism throughout his life, and that he saw also so clearly what that did to the whole human family. We know, too, that his attention was keenly focused on the bitter realities of war and poverty and discrimination of every kind. It's why perhaps many photographs of him like this one reflect the seriousness of these threats to the well-being of God's people. But when I look through any gallery of photos taken during Dr. King's adult life, I have to say that I see even more photos of him that reveal a joy that he experienced in the midst of all of that. Even on the eve of his assassination, he told a crowd in Memphis, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now, Dr. King said. I just want to do God's will, and so I'm happy tonight. But where did that irrepressible joy come from? Dr. King's own answer is revealing. Earlier in life, he said, those who are not looking for happiness are the most likely to find it because those who are searching forget that the surest way to be happy is to seek happiness for others. When I read that statement last week, it 
made a deep connection for me with all of the thoughts and memories that I have been having about Archbishop Desmond Tutu in these weeks following his death. One source of joy for me is that I got to actually see him and hear him in person when he spoke at an event several years ago. We were sitting way up in the stands at the Tacoma Dome here in our hometown, but the warmth of his smile and the sweetness of his laugh I think had everyone there transfixed. Like Martin Luther King Jr., Archbishop Tutu experienced also firsthand the evils of racism and war and poverty. It's why many photos of him also, like this one, reveal the intensity of these struggles, the weight of them on his heart and soul. But when I think of all the great and powerful agents of change in my lifetime, it's hard to think of anyone who exuded more joy along the way than Desmond Tutu. And his own testimony about the source of that joy matches what Dr. King said. If you're setting out to be joyful, says the Archbishop, you are not going to end up being joyful. You're going to find yourself turned in on yourself, he says. But then he adds, taking care of others, helping others, ultimately is the way to discover your own joy and to have a happy life. That also matches what Archbishop Tutu said in an interview recorded in a recent publication called The Book of Joy, which recounts a remarkable week that took place a few years ago that brought together Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama for a week of conversations at the residence of the Dalai Lama in India. During that time, the interviewer said to, to Desmond Tutu, many people are waiting for happiness or joy. When they get a job, when they fall in love, when they get rich, then they will be happy. Then they will have joy. But he said to Archbishop Tutu, you're talking about something that's available right now without waiting for anything. The archbishop considered his response carefully and then said, I mean simply to say that ultimately our greatest joy is when we seek to do good for others. If you've read the book of joy by those two spiritual leaders, which records that five-day conversation between the two of them about lasting happiness in a changing world, you can see why Archbishop Tutu and the Dalai Lama were not only good friends, but also spiritual soulmates. In his own eloquent way, the Dalai Lama said during that time, I believe that the purpose of life is to find happiness. It does not matter whether one is Buddhist like me, or a Christian like the Archbishop, or any other religion, or no religion at all, he said. From the very core of our being, he goes on to say, we simply desire joy and contentment. But so often those feelings are fleeting, hard to find, like a butterfly that lands on us and then flutters away. And then the Dalai Lama went on to say, the ultimate source of happiness is within us not money, not power, not status. A compassionate concern for others' well-being, he says, is the source of happiness. 
And then I love this part. He says, if you develop a strong sense of concern for the well-being of all sentient beings, and in particular, all human beings, this will make you happy in the morning, even before coffee. Coming back to the gospel story, I've often wondered what it would have been like to be in the presence of Jesus and to absorb some of his joyful spirit. Surely he was acutely aware of suffering and injustice in the world. He saw and experienced the hate. He knew the bitter realities of hunger and poverty for so many people. He lived as so many others do under the daily threat of violence. And like all human beings, Jesus also experienced profound sadness, we're told, and loneliness and anger and weariness. And yet, as he said himself, Jesus had a heart full of joy. Later in the Gospel of John, he too revealed the source of this. When you love one another as I have loved you, Jesus said, my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. It would be really amazing, of course, to have the power to turn water into wine. But I don't think the wedding prayer that I quoted earlier is about that at all. Yes, 150 gallons of premium wine would be nice. But the way that Jesus gladdened that wedding at Cana was by using his power to save the reputation of the host, to bring honor to the bride and groom, to prolong that experience for everyone of being together in joyful community. You and I may have to buy our own wine, but we all have the power deep within us to love unselfishly. We all have the power to say and do things that build up our neighbors. We all have the power that God has put deep within us to take care of others, to help others. And we all have the power as God's image to be generous, even extravagantly generous. In the end, says Desmond Tutu, generosity is the best way of becoming more, more, and more joyful. Thanks be to God. Amen.